Now I'm the king of the swingers, oh, the jungle VIP. I've reached the top and had to stop, and that's what's bothering me. Doctor Who. From four grown adults who should probably know better. From four grown adults who are stuck in lockdown. We're not afraid to say it like it is. Or the word bollocks. www.dirtyhoers.com Follow us on Facebook at Dirty Hooers. If you like that kind of thing. We're also on Twitter deal with it. Geronimo! Fantastic. L on C. Cock. With your hosts. Number one assistant, Terry Lightfoot. Ulon Sputnik. Tardis Kitty, Miss Cubby. Lord President, Sen. Hello, fellow bored isolationists. Welcome to another one of these things we do when we have fuck all to do. This time around, we're right in the middle of the golden years. Big Tom at arguably his characterful best. First trip out for Terry's favourite, Louise Jameson as Leela. From January 1977, the much acclaimed season 14, The Face of Evil. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Would you believe that it actually says next to it in brackets on my thing here? Dun dun dun. Hyphen, somebody's bound to say it. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Well, you know me. Will contain spoilers, may contain nuts. Directed by Pennant Roberts, his first serial. Also, he did Pirate Planet and Some Makers and Warriors of the Deep and the Ill-Fated Sharda and a metric fuck ton of other BBC stuff. Written by Chris Boucher, who wrote some proper bangers uh, like the next episode, Roberts of Death and Image of the Fendal, which is one of my favourites. Perfect compliment to the script diddling of Robert Holmes. Chris is the chap who's credited, obviously, with creating Leela. Four episodes totaling 100 minutes, produced by Philip Hinchcliffe, Dudley Simpson on music and a fine cast of scantily clad male thespians skipping around the jungle set, delivering their lines with the utmost sincerity, like they were on stage at the Globe. Is Leela the only woman in this? I think there might be another one when they're setting up the attack on the wall, because if she is, that raises a whole heap of unwholesome questions. (laughs) (laughs) It was really bothering me. I'm like, where are the fucking women? Uh, Tabitha, would you please lecture our lovely listeners regarding our system of classification? Well, as you will know, we reimagine each story as a gentleman caller or lady of pleasure and we rate how tempting we find their various wares. We begin at the bottom with the free BJ, you just about would but only in a pinch. Then we progress to five and from there to ten, then on to twenty and finally to fifty where this is some seriously A-grade produce. Thank you very much. Lovely. Well, I'm going to give it a fifty. <coughs> Okay. Um, Well, I think it's a 20. 
it's good, <laughs> but it's probably only the fourth or fifth best in this season, which is a hell of a thing to be able to say. It's a great set of episodes, don't get me wrong, but it's not Robots or Talons or Deadly Assassin. I would go for a 20 as well, but I would tip her with some nice makeup. 10. Flat. Ooh. No tip. Flat as, oh. yeah, we know what's yeah, 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 uh, yeah. Well. <laughs> I am going to say in its defense, you're comparing it to whatever, Assassin and Talons and Robots of Death. I mean, those are amazing stories and it pretty much holds up. So I don't know, you're comparing it to some of the best in Doctor Who. Mm, so, does it though? It does. There's only one part in it that gets a little boring is when there's all the hallways and shit. Which is... Mm, yeah, basically two episodes out of four. <laughs> but I think it's a marvelous episode. It introduces Leela, and she's like one of the first proactive female companions that we have. Despite the fact that they put her in a ridiculously skimpy outfit, she looks wonderful in it. So, you know, there's pros and there's cons. She is great, and she plays her character full on, and she does it well. Her personality is one of total earnestness and faith in the Doctor, and she really comes to trust him pretty quickly. And even in this story, she meets him, and right off the bat, I think there's a pretty good rapport between the two of them. She brings a lot to the relationship. She defends the Doctor physically, <laughs> defends him, protects him from enemies, which, you know, most companions, they're uh, mostly getting into scrapes and trouble and spraining their ankles and she doesn't do that so that's nice to have that for a change right yeah it's kind of a strong female role and it's kind of a really bad example of a strong female role as well in which way do you mean She's a scantily clad moron, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you mean, yeah. Um, yeah, because, you know, sign of the times, I guess. Despite that, I mean, if you just visualize her wearing pants or something. Clothes. Um, clothes. <laughs> she, she's a great character. And what I like about her is that she's very open. She's earnest and, and uh, uh, honest. When she doesn't know stuff, I mean, you know, she, she's open to being corrected, which is perfect because they set up the whole relationship of, you know, what was the name? of that thing my fair lady or mm -hmm. yeah okay uh, you know him teaching her how to be a civilized modern person and not go around killing people the rain in spain stays mainly in the plain i think she's got it i think she's got it the rain in spain stays mainly in the plain by george she's got it by george she's got it <laughs> As if Tom Baker's doctor were the most perfect pacifist, you know, which he isn't. Let's just gloss over that. Uh, Let's but just he, gloss over the fact that he snapped a man's neck in Seeds of Doom. Yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes he picks up guns and goes ahead, uses them. Um, yeah, he's not as bad as Pertwee. I watched a Pertwee recently and he basically just killed a load of guys by snapping their necks with the side of his hand. Yep. Oh, <laughs> Supposedly Tom Baker and Jameson did not get along very well off camera. I think because he was trying to get over the fact that he lost a good friend in, in um, Sarah Jane. They have a great rapport as characters. I love their chemistry. Mm. It's good. Then the story itself was very good, entertaining. And you, you land in this place, you think it's just going to be a jungle, and that's it. And then when he comes across the face of evil... then you're like, oh, what the fuck? That's where the interesting stuff starts happening. And then something happened off camera in the past, you know, with the doctor 
on that planet and he's responsible. And that's something that you didn't really see much of in this period of Doctor Who, the doctor's responsibility for stuff, you know, paying the due for stuff that he may have done in the past. You don't see that much. You do see it a lot with Tennant and the modern Doctor Who too much. Who And the modern oh. Doctor Who is like fucking shut up about his past. It kind of kills it after a while because you can't have adventures without everyone in the fucking room knows he's the doctor and it kind of kills the mystery of the character right are we supposed to believe that the plot seed for this you know when like he gave Zoan and his bliss personality are we supposed to believe that happened back in robot because i think that was in the target novel which really fucking niggles me to be honest and like fucks with my hoovian ocd but if that was pertwee's head or whatever then I don't know. It just wouldn't have been a very solid story. I can let it slide, but it's still a thing. It's like a major part of the whole premise. And even back in 77, I remember frowning at the screen, trying to work out when this actually happened, when he came back and, so and did this. To, you have to assume, just like anyone who's like read the books knows... <laughs> Mm. that all the books and adventures he has in the books that aren't on TV must be happening between other adventures, right? But here's the issue here. The first part of Tom Baker's tenure was basically contiguous. You know, we didn't see Sarah Jane Smith age considerably during that time. Mm -hmm. Um, And there was really little evidence that he buggered off without his companions. The Deadly Assassin was the first time there was the possibility of that actually happening. So Hmm. what? A thousand years passed in between Deadly Assassin and Face of Evil so long that he couldn't remember what just happened? Sure. And Deadly Assassin was the previous episode. It was the previous fucking episode, and that was the first opportunity for a gap. Let's say yes. Who gives a fuck? Doctor Who? Like anything in Doctor Who has ever been a consistent story. I'd prefer that my $50 whore not forget her name halfway through. It's a good story with the sentient AI that is kind of crazy. It was fun. And, and the whole time barrier where everything was moved a few seconds into the future. I thought that was a fun little idea. I've seen that before in, in Doctor Who and in some other show. I can't remember. I love Neva. Oh, I love Neva. Yeah. With his little outfit. And he's great because, you know, towards the end of the story, he kind of like starts to understand what's really going on. And yeah. he, he starts to deal with it, right? And he had that wonderful priest hat. Not a lot of people can pull off a cricket glove on their head. <laughs> <laughs> That was great. So yeah, and the and the, also the costuming was fun. I didn't understand why the technical tribe, the Tesh, why they would have such funky outfits. They're like and, disco uh, Tesh. Yeah, disco Tesh. <laughs> Exactly. So funny. But they were fun outfits. I loved it. I mean, it would have been appropriate if they were working in the circus, but okay. I fucking hate the Tesh. I fucking hate the Tesh. I think you're supposed to hate them. They're super snobs. That's sort of like middle management. Yes. Yeah, oh, right. God, yeah. Exactly. And With the way they... Psionic powers. Like, no, oh, you. imagine that. Slightly psychic middle management. You. Oh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. I know. And then the way they bow after every fucking sentence. Yeah. I don't have that much to say, seriously, about this story. I, I just enjoyed it i thought it was a good premise it was fun it could have been shortened by an episode because of the running around in the the hallways but you know that is traditional doctor who yeah it is and you know we're used to a faster pace of who it could have been shortened by two fucking episodes if you ask me but well first of all i gotta say the doctor is an irresponsible dick and one of the reasons i like this episode is because it's a payoff against his arrogance and sort of blase savoir faire where he normally just gets away with shit by flashing a mouthful of 
fucking teeth or one of his companions makes excuses for him or keeps him on track and maybe that's it maybe this is a warning after deadly assassin maybe the first 10 minutes of this is exactly why the doctor shouldn't travel alone i fucking hate it when he breaks the fourth wall thankfully he doesn't do it very often but wandering around self-narrating is what happens when you don't have a companion to ask the right questions so you can explain the plot you know it was a weird one actually back in the 70s because there'd been this sort of odd pause after deadly assassin which was that's deadly assassin's a whole new level of hoonus isn't it and doctor who itself was in in the newspapers because of mary whitehouse and shit and i remember them re-showing a couple of liz and tom episodes pyramids and seeds of doom i think which was really rare to re-see previous episodes there were no vhs's and shit like that and no dvds and no internet so it was kind of a really big deal for me as a massive doctor who fan so much of this is very nostalgic around this time more than any other time and it really was a golden time and leela and i guess k9 were a really big part of all this i mean i'm a huge sarah jane fan and you know and, and, and a huge pertwee and you know and katie fan but who was a big part of the public consciousness back then and it wasn't the same level again until tenant really mm-hmm. um this is for me really a story of two halves the first half hangs together substantially better than the second half after tom goes down his own throat and frankly if i could do that i'd never leave the fucking house uh it's just not quite as solid if you'll excuse the pun somehow it's easier to buy the tribe thing when it's the sever team than when you get the spangly corridors and side powers and glittery outfits of the fucking tesh it all gets a bit tom shouting at tom you know uh, i mean fair play though i like the whole concept just the execution and payoff was a bit and analog effects and people grabbing at their own foreheads it was oddly sort of forbidden planet and monsters from the id and i think he may have even mentioned that at one point i think i remember losing interest towards the end of this one when i was a kid i don't know i don't think i got it maybe i only saw the early episodes i don't know this one probably works better for a slightly older audience who can better get to grips with the concepts of disassociative identity disorder, I guess, and the Doctor's fallibility. Uh, and maybe, as kids, just the higher-level concepts of sci-fi, which this is, this sort of Asimov level of cultural commentary, just aren't fucking on our radar, and I just didn't get it. I, I get it a lot more now, and I love it. I love it. I eat it up now. But back then, it washed over me, and I couldn't wait for the next episode with Robot to Death. Nice and easy. I don't know. The- I thought the way they... When he goes into that computer room, and there's the different faces and everything... I thought that was well done. I agree with you 100% now. As an adult looking at it as a kid, I didn't get it. As I said before, there's a lot overshadows these episodes in this season. This would have been a standout plate of fried fucking liquid gold in season 17 next to Horns of Nymon or Nightmare of Eden. In this season, it's just an average one. And it is a very good one. Still 20, you know, potentially with it. Almost a tip. I do love Neva. I really do like Neva. He's oddly kind of buff and a bit sexy. Uh, <laughs> the guy who plays him, David Garfield, looks the part and he just like fucking genuflects his socks off he's yeah. von weich in uh war games as well with his monocle and all that cracking performance in this i thought and the character sort of comes off good as terry said in the end with his atheist epiphany at the end an important lesson for all those 70s kids watching at home probably something about blind faith and never meeting your idols or something the use of the old technology as religious paraphernalia, all the leaders playing eugenics sort of stuff, fake gods and legends, is so Chris Boucher and Robert Holmes. I mean, it really is. I really do love all this. Apparently, it's inspired by a book called Captive Universe, which I only found out about recently. Uh, Harry Harrison book, and I've read a lot of Harry Harrison. Not read this one, so I've picked it up on eBay. Pick one up for a couple of quid, if you believe. I think there's a bit of Brave New World in there as well, and maybe a bit of Lord of the Flies. I don't know. Louise Jameson is a total fucking 
treat in this one. I mean, mostly for the dads, but a treat nonetheless. Louise is brilliant. I chatted to her in a corridor at Hooverville in Derby once, maybe in 2011, 2012. Chatted for a bit and then she just grabbed my arm and, and she said she'd like to go and look around the traders and we just potted off the pair of us. She wanted, you know, just someone to escort her so she wouldn't get hassled too much. And we just potted around looking at stuff and she's totally lovely. Bigger smile, really mischievous eyes. 100% who royalty, you know, up there with Sophie and Liz and Katie and Wendy. Just really there for her fans, no pretensions you know she's just who she is and she's absolutely lovely she's 100% Leela in this one strong as out before the doctor as you say started his fucking Henry Higgins routine and banned her from using Jane's thorns not that she ever really listened total perfection and occasionally I've got to say occasionally in profile utterly beautiful she really is Louise Jameson's in her prime at this time and she is a beautiful woman um, Leela though Leela doesn't seem much fucked about her old man dying in her place it's weird yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean I know he was getting old old soul I suppose maybe he was lingering and stopping her from going out or having friends around we just don't know <laughs> Uh, they're a tough lot, the seventeen. Or, or maybe maybe, bit... maybe Pops really did set her up to be the village bicycle since she's the only woman. She's not the only woman. That's an urban myth. She's not the only one. There is one more. Anyway, you know, maybe a bit of <laughs> maybe a bit of death by hoarder was just what he needed. Maybe she wanted to rent his room out. Who are we to say? <laughs> Speaking of rubbly wobbly crab nightmare that is a bag of hoarder, the docks are surprisingly fucking crack shot, cocky bastard. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, he fucking sorts that rope. Okay. Biggest thing I didn't like was the noise of those fucking guns. Two solid episodes of I was fucking begging for them to run out of charge. Pew, 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 pew. And then someone else shows up with another one. Pew, 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 pew. And then they got a bigger one. That would be great for a notification sound. So um, I picked this up on eBay for four quid, which is okay for a nice slice of history like this. There's a few extra bits and pieces. There's a whole seven-team reunion on the commentary with Caleb and Louise and Neva. Uh, and that's got Hinchcliffe and John Glayson, who I think was DOP. He's cameraman anyway. All hosted by the Haydoke good man there's also the dennis fisher toy adverts which were brilliant i've still got my tom and tardis and a good docker with louise talking about her time on the show and playing leela all good stuff worth a look mine's digitally remastered i think they all are to be honest and the picture and sound quality are well pucker all in all yes a solid 20 but i'm gonna shy off that tip I thought the opening was absolutely superlative. Lots of drama and shouting and awesome costumes, actually. Really the sort of thing to grab your attention and it put Leela front and centre, which set the tone nicely for the rest of the episode. What struck me really about this story was how much it reminded me of State of Decay, a basic premise is the same sort of remnants of an old space mission leaving like a divided society with two opposing factions barely able to coexist and this that's true which one do you think did it best this one Mm. because i think that i wasn't wholly convinced shall we say by the peasant society in state of decay and i remember sen wasn't either there was a sense that i think as you said spotters like a good winter would finish them off like whereas here i think we were left with some hope and the foundations of some sort of democracy going forward so that made me happy as an ending I thought it was quite satisfying you got the corrupted language and the special space chair and that kind of thing but it just worked for me much better in this story which is why I could rate it higher than the state of decay even though the basic premise was the same 
one thing that bothered me was the length of the Janus thorn paralysis seems to vary quite a lot because the first yeah. couple of people affected by it, well, they seem to die pretty much immediately, whereas Leela managed to hold on for quite a while because reasons, while the doctor formulated a cure through a handily placed prop. Um, yeah, but she was younger than her prime. Come on, she's in her prime. Yeah, she is. Right. The acting <laughs> of the people affected by the Janus thorn was equally sketchy and, oh, dare I say, hammy. And same goes for all the people towards the end affected by Zoanan's psychic waves or whatever they were. A bit of like pinch the bridge of your nose and go glassy-eyed and jobs are good. And I did feel like that could have been improved a, a little bit more. I, I think I agree with you, Sputters. I felt the lack of any sort of mention of Leela's father dying for the rest of the story. <laughs> she just didn't seem bothered that he had sacrificed himself to the land fish with teeth. She was very, very, very concerned about the Doctor, far more so going through the ritual than she was about her own dad who yeah. basically died yeah. off screen, pursued like by bear. Was- yeah, it felt like it's a bit like of a void, like something that had been thrown away a bit. I know she's like a hysterical warrior and all the rest of it, so I didn't expect her to spend all four episodes howling with grief or anything, but it did seem like the kind of thing that could at least have been mentioned sometimes. I thought the sciencey bit at the end was quite neat. I actually broadly understood it for once, so that helped. Oh, hello. I know. <laughs> the idea of a supercomputer with a split personality conducting an experiment in eugenics did appeal to me and I thought the fact that it was all the doctor's fault was actually quite a pleasant little hook you know notwithstanding all the how the hell did he forget when did this happen I enjoyed the way in which Leela went off with the doctor to avoid the responsibility that people were starting to ask her to shoulder (laughs) like barging her way into the TARDIS and stabbing at buttons until something happened to take them away seemed like a very Leela thing to do and I think even then the audience can tell this is kind of going to be like the start of something big of course that could just be me looking at it with the fond eyes of hindsight but I don't think so you can tell I really enjoyed this but I kind of thought about giving it a 50 but there were a couple of things that sort of prevented me and one of them was basically like you've mentioned the amount of time filling that took place for the first couple it principally took the form of like raids into the forest and standing around looking wary and in the latter half it was the sneaking around those sterile white corridors I found to be more than tiresome but I enjoyed it not a 50 for me but considerably more successful than State of Decay so yeah it's it's always got to be the case in in a Doctor Who especially around this time where there's a certain amount of running around while they shuffle set and for the first two episodes (laughs) they shuffle around the contents of a garden centre and for the second they (laughs) shuffle around some glittery looking spangly flats and put a gun in the corridor yeah Yeah. send pick it up my friend all right well first of all i think season eight season 14 and season 26 top three Mm -hmm. yeah fair enough i mean so this is for me the letdown of the season because the face of evil for me is what definitely makes season 14 number three of the top three. You eliminate Face of Evil, and I think that this may be the tightest season in the history of Doctor Who. And you know, I'm not a big Tom Baker fan. To me, and I saw this very young. I must have been maybe seven, eight when I saw it for the first time. But that was here in the United States. Uh, The original broadcast was two days before I was born. 
Wow. Mm. I, I'm surprised you say it's the letdown, though, because, I mean, better than Mask of Madragora. See, I don't think so. I like that. Interesting. It's about level, I think, maybe with Hand of Fear, but it's not better than Hand of Fear. It's not worse or better than Hand of Fear. Anyway, all right, go on. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's see. Okay. We have to review Hand of Fear at some point here. Um, <laughs> oh, Mask of yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it was a well-executed, hot mess of a premise. Mm. I agree with the good things all of you said. I, I enjoyed sitting here watching it, and I watched it all four episodes straight through, and that can be a tricky thing to do with pacing with yeah. these olds and yes it did certainly slow down in the middle i you know i'm starting to read wikipedia scripts to look for my quotes and stuff you know but still i did enjoy watching all four episodes straight through but oh god the premise first of all when did it happen when in the fourth doctor's history did this take place and i remember what was fascinating is that i hadn't seen it in quite a few years i think i've seen this episode four times in my life i don't know three or four mm-hmm. and every time i watch it my first thought is oh, this takes place in the Doctor's future, which would make perfect sense. That would explain why he has no idea what's going on. That would have covered it much better than the way they covered it. That would have covered everything. The psycho computer could have made a passing comment and the Doctor says something to Leela that she doesn't understand about, oh, that just happened in my future. It just hasn't happened yet. And it would have fixed almost everything for me. Mm-hmm. But no, uh-uh. He just doesn't remember and then he kind of remembers, but he doesn't remember enough to resolve the plot quickly. No, we still have to see it through. And again, it's like someone just didn't pass high school science. Schizophrenia and multiple personality disorder are not the same thing. No. They are not even they are most definitely not the same thing. And what I thought was hilarious was that when I was watching it, I thought to myself, well, that's kind of like confusing a broken leg with what and then I went, Oh, right. The guy that said he got his leg broken got up and ran around later, so I guess they can't get that (laughs) one right either. Um (laughs) what happened to the dude's leg, by the way? Because that's a death sentence in a culture like that um, yeah <laughs> oh wait he's now the leader okay all right fine <laughs> so this computer took accidentally i guess all of the doctor's knowledge and personality and that got all mixed up with other stuff okay i'll run with that the computer managed to glean enough knowledge to offset the ship two seconds into the future which it's worth noting that's the same defensive mechanism that gallifrey uses during the time war that's where that's, i heard it yeah that's extremely advanced Time Lord technology. Sure. And yet, if they could put the entire colony two seconds into the future, but the computer couldn't just bugger off a thousand years ahead to see how their eugenics experiment turned out? I mean, why wait it all out? If you're capable of traveling two seconds into the future, you can just bugger off and see the end result. So, oh my God, you're right. <laughs> the entire existence of the story falls apart with the addition of that technology. No, it just falls into the realms of big finish. Okay, well, fair enough. <laughs> I love Big Finish, but there's a reason why those scripts aren't on TV. Right. Um, And I remember that sequence bugging the shit out of me when I was a little kid. I didn't understand the whole, the doctor forgot it. And I didn't understand the whole, well, if it's two seconds into the future, why can't it be more? Those were two points that have always, I thought, were shit. And I wasn't enough of a Doctor Who fan when I saw it as a kid to get the whole Time Lord tech thing. But that ate at me. It's like the the whole premise falls apart. When the whole premise falls apart, none of it makes any sense. 
sense. I'm presuming that the telepathic abilities of the Tesh are also something that was gleaned from Time Lord. Physiology and tech, it would have to be. I mean, where else would they get it? We know Time Lords can communicate to other Time Lords telepathically, so how come the Doctor was immune from this since it was Time Lord tech to begin with? You know, the, the science of the whole thing is just an absolute... Okay, let me rephrase that. The science isn't a mess. It's okay to invent science when you're dealing with alien stuff, but again, it's not consistent within itself. Before we did the podcast, I did some research and I went, okay, so maybe people didn't really understand schizophrenia and multiple personality 50 years ago. Okay, fair enough. So I did some research and comes to find out there was a big revelation in the UK about five years before this episode broadcast about what causes schizophrenia, uh, multiple personality disorder. It was all in the press. There was some back and forth between the US and Great Britain about diagnostics and things like that. They should have known better. But for a sci-fi premise, it's an easy win. Yeah. Uh, I guess. I mean... But there's no excuses, you say, if it can't be consistent within its own laws. Yeah, and it really... I mean, who were the other personalities in the computer? No clue. No clue. I mean, it was was an AI, it's a developed personalities, but there was a child in there and all sorts. Are we supposed to believe that was a young doctor? No, no, there's no... If it was just an AI, okay, if it was, you know, imprints of other people, but wouldn't the Time Lord personality be overwhelmingly dominant against a couple of humans that wandered into a computer database accidentally? I kind of took it to be various, let's say, shadows of different aspects of the computer, like not specifically absolutely defined personalities, but almost like emotions different voices to different emotions. I can buy that. Yeah. And as far as the comment, the most powerful computer ever built, well, Matrix. a month and a half earlier, we ran around for a full episode in the Matrix on Gallifrey. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know. Yes, but maybe he was speaking from the perspective of humans. Mm, after all, he is half human on his mother's side. Yeah. Oh, my God. Stop. Yeah, well. That's about how consistent this episode (laughs) You know, and I guess that's the thing when you say the hand of fear, but that was a remarkably consistent and well put together story. I mean, it had issues, but when you look all the way to the end where they, you know, they traveled to the the home planet and all of that stuff, it worked within itself. Whether or not it was great is another episode of Dirty Whores, but it worked within itself. It was consistent in itself. And this just... gross so don't get me wrong i liked it but i went last so i gotta point out everything that sucks since i gave the lowest rating so there you go okay guys so uh should we find out what we're gonna do next shall we spin the wheel of hoop yes please repeat draconian battle cruiser about to lock on now All anti-boarding procedures carried out. Awaiting instructions. Out. Frontier in space. Yes. Earthway. Yes. Katie Manning. Draconians. 
Oh, yeah. Tabby, it's a long one, though. Is it? Oh, it is a fucking long one. Proper early 70s sci-fi, but it's a long one. Yeah. I'll not spoil anything for you. Okay. But Pertwee, so you know. I got to say, for me, <laughs> if there's a fourth best season in Who history, it's season 10. And the Draconians are fantastic. Oh, fantastic is right. Oh, shit. <laughs> you know, honestly, if this season had had more unit in it, I would put this as the best season in Doctor Who history. There you go. Uh, oh, quotes. Quotes. Okay. My favorite quote was when Leela says, maybe there is a holy purpose. I don't know what to believe anymore. And the doctor says, well, that sounds healthy anyway, Leela. Never be certain of anything. It's a sign of weakness. And I love that because coming from a Buddhist perspective, you're not supposed to take anything for granted. You're supposed to examine everything. Mine is, and I think this is very poignant today, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if this is Sens as well. You know, the very powerful and the very stupid have one thing in common. They don't alter their views to fit the facts. They alter the facts to fit their views, which can be uncomfortable if you happen to be one of the facts that needs altering. That's a great one. Mm. I went for levity. You'll have to be quicker than that, you overblown adding machine. <laughs> and yes, Sputters, you nailed it. That was mine. <laughs> we know each other too well. We do. I have, to say, I have to say, I did like, would you like a jelly baby? It's true then. They say the evil one eats babies. Yes. I did actually think that was really fucking That good. one's hilarious. It is really good. I know what. And then the way Tom played it when he bit off its head. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a whole bit where he was supposed to draw a knife on somebody and stick a knife under the throat. And Tom Baker said, no, 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 I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I'll uh, I'll threaten them with a jelly baby. So that whole scene where the guy's going like, oh, fuck a jelly baby in my face. That, um, that was an ad lib from Tom. Oh, wow. You know, he's like, no, the doctor wouldn't do that. No, 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 no. No, he wouldn't shag his assistant while wearing his scarf at all. <laughs> so here's raising a glass to you out there in podcast land for your ongoing support. Thank you very much. If you enjoy this nonsense, please give us a like on Spotify or iTunes or wherever you listen. Tell a friend. We thank you. Keep safe and keep smiling. We have been the Dirty Hose Doctor Who podcast. Hope you are too. Good night, everyone. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Dirty Hooers Doctor Who podcast. Follow us on iTunes or DirtyHooers.com. Facebook and Twitter at Dirty Hooers. See you next time. <laughs>